Ja, Norden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. See, episode 58. I remember the episode number this time around. Are you impressed? Uh, you can count, and you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot. <laughs> in the parking lot. I believe that's Mr. Gilmore's. <laughs> Yeah, I can count. Isn't that lovely? You know, the, the main reason I remember Heinz 57. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no sauce, um, tied to 58. Is there in honor of tonight's album, we are going to complete this episode in no more than three minutes and 20 seconds or less. Is that the longest song on the deal? Well, that's sort of the seemingly the average ish Motown song. I mean, it's, the, uh, I don't have the durations in front of me, but I don't think any of these go over four. I'd be pretty surprised. Hey, can I, I, I'm, I'm very musically agitated at the moment. Can, can I, did, did you have big plans for the intro? Can I derail for a second and, and talk about something that has nothing to do with tonight's album just for a minute? Sure, man. You, you want to derail right. away? I mean, go right. ahead. But it's going to ruin my entire scripted, yeah, we, well, formal plan. I mean, you, we, uh, you know how much we, you know, prepare on this to the show. I mean, to the minute, to the minute. But, but no, I mean, listen. I if you want, I'll hold off until next episode. Uh, but if 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 you want me to, if you want me to go, I'll go. I mean, no, it's, man, good go. You're in charge. I'm just the first <laughs> yeah. officer. This I don't episode. think I am anymore. You're no. El Capitan. So okay, all right. Yeah, all right. go please. Go ahead. All right, listen, I yeah. I am so freaking annoyed right now musically there's okay so we live in you're musically annoyed you're musically, musically agitated super super agitated okay. okay can't wait to hear this all right so we live in southeastern michigan right and there's you've talked about radio recently right wanting to get back into radio and and there really aren't that many good radio stations left but there are a few and not anymore i mean yeah. we used to be the mecca of rock radio right yeah, totally. Yeah. So we live, at least I live, you're a little closer to Detroit. I'm a little closer to Ann Arbor. By the way, is it storming buckets where you are? It's like huge, beautiful thunderstorm here. I love it. Yeah, those. I got a storm uh, coming in. Yeah, big, big storm yeah, coming in. Uh, it, so if you hear any, uh, you know, thunder and lightning, all thunder, no lightning, um, you know, you, you, you might even catch, catch an audible glimpse of this thing. But okay. We're I'm near Ann Arbor, okay, and there's this uh, radio station that's very Ann Arbor centric, which basically means it's like uh, a lot of tree hugging hippie music, right? I mean, uh, a lot of people call it it's it's 107.1. A lot of people call it 107.1 W O K E, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, woke, okay, woke, woke radio, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I kid, I kid. Okay, but they do play a lot of like you know, if you're into like uh, rusted root. This is your station, you know, if you're into like Wilco, like deep cut, deep Wilco cuts. Okay. So, um, so you, you kind of get the, get the impression here, right? So I was in the shower, uh, yesterday cause I try to every day. I mean, I, I, I don't really always accomplish it, but I try. It's a reasonable goal. I try to get, 
I try to scrub up. Okay. And I had 107.1 on. And this song came on. And it was like, oh my God, this is the biggest ripoff I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, you talked a little bit in the George Michael episode about, you know, a Kate Bush lift, which probably a few people noticed. And obviously there have been quite a few of those historically, but this is the most blatant song ripoff I've ever, ever heard. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you, I'm going to see how long it's going to take you to, to guess the ripoff. But I, I queued up the song. First of all, I, I don't really want to promote the guy, but this guy's name is Brett Denon. He's like some folky guy. And this song is called See the World. This radio station plays artists like Brett Denon. Yeah. I I've mean, never who, heard of him. Whoever that is. <laughs> okay. So does let this me radio you, station reach like five homes or I mean, this is a decent station. Is it really? In, okay. I mean, it's beloved by the Ann Arbor audience, as you can imagine. Okay. So, so, okay. Let me give you a piece of this. You just, you just yell when you know exactly what this, uh, what I'm talking about. Here we go. Okay. Let's, let's cue it up here. It's hard to see what you're going through. I'm surprised it's taking you this long. You haven't gotten it yet? No. All right, let me help you out. Okay. Started out. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. I must go down. But I ain't got I mean, listen. Well, you're right. It's the exact riff. Okay. It almost now, the same tempo too. It's it's the same exact chords. It's yeah. the same exact vocal line. Even the this song is about like getting out and seeing the world. Even the freaking like lyrics are the same. It's it, like learning to fly, see the world. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same damn song. And you know what? See, it even has that. Jeff Lynn like drum sound. Did exactly. You that? Yeah. I mean, geez, it's blatant. Okay, so, yeah, so right. I'm showering, I'm scrubbing myself up, and I'm just pissed off now, right? And I'm like, all right, like there must be an outrage online about this song. So, so I, I actually went on the website. You know, these radio stations now, you can go on their radio station website. And see what their playlist has been for like the last two days. If you want to like scroll back and see what. So I actually did that. And I saw that this Brett Denon did this song called See the World. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to Google search Brett Denon, See the World, Tom Petty. And see if like I'm the only freaking one who. And honestly, I only found like three like matches where people were like, yeah, total ripoff. But it wasn't like as overwhelming. Like I thought that it was going to be just overwhelming on this deal. So, yeah. I, I mean, I'll tell you too, though, that that's what was most surprising about what we talked about in episode 57 with the George Michael Kate Bush ripoff. What was shocking to me was I did a Google search of it and there wasn't one person that yeah. noticed it. And like, you're right. Like, I, how are people not completely pointing this out? You know, like, who, I'm playing this from YouTube. Clearly, I don't have this song. So I'm playing this off YouTube and I'm looking at the comments and like, 
it's funny because even some people are acknowledging the Tom Petty, but but they're talking about it like as like an influence. It's like, oh, I can so hear Tom Petty in this. Like, of course you can freaking hear Tom Petty. It's yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You know, so so people are yeah. like like giving you know, it's like, boy, what very obviously very influenced by by Petty. And it's like, yeah, I would say so, you know. So anyway. So Brett Denon, whoever you are, man, you suck. You know, like <laughs> Like write your own song. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's the same structure. It's the same chords. It's the same vocal melody. It's even the same freaking meaning, you know? So whatever. And Hey, Brett Denon, when you musically agitate my twin brother, you musically agitate me. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, right? That's right. Whatever that means. Yes. That's right. Whatever. We could be all right. Go ahead. I, well, I, I'm right. going to tell you I, now. I'm nervous. Now no, I'm nervous. I just I had to I had to get that out. I had to get. No, that it's out. not because no. This just happened yesterday, and I'm just a little salty about it. So sorry. Here's why I'm nervous. I'm a little pissed off that you <laughs> didn't get that in like five seconds. Like maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I thought that you were going to be like, oh, that's learning to fly. Like duh, you know. You know what? I so maybe I'm madder. Maybe I'm madder if that's a word about this than I actually should be. You know what I mean, man? Well, that might be that might be a good point. But here's the thing: I you're probably a little bit more into petty than I am. That could be a factor because when I first heard it, I did not think learning to fly. You probably pointed that out very quickly. Uh, you a, you love the heart. What are you, what are you talking about? You love the heartbreakers. You think they're the best backing <laughs> band, shittiest backing band ever. The heartbreakers. Ugh. Tom Petty's great, but I mean, come on, that, that's just. Bleak. I'm just musically agitated that he couldn't find a better band. You know, who Brett Denon or Tom Petty? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Here's my concern. Here's why sorry. I'm worried. I'm sorry, I kind of hijacked your. Uh, that's okay. I'm I'm worried because within tonight's album, Reach Out by the Four Tops. Yeah. The band actually rips itself off. Oh, I thought this was a I thought (laughs) I thought this was a monkeys record. Oh, come on. There's two monkeys. A couple of covers never heard anyway. (laughs) But no, they there's there's a there's a self ripoff within this album that we will talk about. But um, oh yeah, right. I mean, the same song is made twice. And ironically, <laughs> yeah. it was a huge hit, twice. and they were both hits. Yeah, <laughs> huge hits. Totally. I were you surprised that I chose this album? And, and do, did you have any idea that this record is 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 as important to to me as a music fan as as you'll probably uh, find out that it is? Uh, well, yes and yes. I I didn't. I was surprised. Um, but you know when you have. 44,000 LP records at some point you've got to explore Motown, you know? I mean, so well, I would say for us, it's more than an exploration and here's what I'm getting at. I think that, you know, we have listeners that listen from all different places and cities. And as we've made very clear, and as you've already mentioned once we, we are from the Detroit area yep. and I don't think it can be said enough what Motown music has meant to us. And I would say to you that Motown music has meant more to us than you and I even know, because when you grow up here, it's, it's like the soundtrack. It's like uh, it, it's Motown music is like a, 
it's like the blood that runs through your veins musically. It's just there. And everyone knows the melodies. Everyone knows the words. We're 20 minutes from the place where it was all recorded. Yeah, again, every major city, I think, has its music and its culture. But Detroit is exceptional in a number of ways. And it all started with Motown, you know? And so part of this is, is a little bit sentimental. A lot of it's cultural for, for us. And what gets lost in all of it is kind of the, the, the artists and the, the output and the compositions and some of the, the more science behind it, because we're, we're around it our whole lives here in Detroit. I mean, you, you just, you hear Motown music everywhere you go all the time. And our oldie station when we were growing up was a huge part of the culture in Detroit and, and like half of what they played. 104.3. Yeah. yeah. More what than half that, of what, what is that now? Like. Is that still oldies? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it changed. I don't know what it changed to. Probably country. They all changed to country. Probably your favorite. Uh, by, the, by the way, I, um, I oh, didn't here, read... here comes more musical. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Well, from you, I didn't, well, I guess from both of us, I didn't really understand. You've mentioned this like hip hop country thing a few times. And I was like, what is he talking about? Because I don't really like hear much of that. But I was at a, a, an event for work. And they were playing sort of a like new country music, like a sort of new wave country type playlist at this event. And I heard exactly what you're talking about, which is these like sort of hip hop beats, but then country music being played along with it. And it's horrible. I mean, you're isn't it atrocious? Oh my God. You're so right. I was like, oh, this is what he's talking about. And it's so bad. It's so, so bad. It's like an official genre now. It's country rap. But the, oh, the, really? the nickname for it is Hick Hop. Oh boy. Hick Hop, which by the way, dumbest name ever. What's cool about Motown music, if you step back from the cultural connection that we have, people love it and it's really, really good. And you can't say that about all forms of pop music, right? I mean, we, we in our short lives, we've, well, our lives are getting longer. We've experienced lots of different forms of pop music. And in most cases, people really like it, but in not all cases, is it really, really good? Motown music, people love, people will always love it. And it's really, really good from a musical standpoint. And I think tonight's album proves that in a number of ways. Indeed. I mean, it's, it's cool. I mean, clearly with Motown, a lot of singles, but to select an album that really sort of captured uh, a certain group properly where you could even sort of dig into the deep cuts. And in this case, some of the covers and those things uh, that make it cool. I don't know that there were a lot of, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, and, and of course Gary can check on this if we'd like, but you know, I don't think that there were a lot of great Motown albums. So it's kind of cool. The, not just the selection, but kind of the, uh, you almost have to sort of spend a little bit of time, I think, if you're going to capture Motown on what album is the most appropriate. So uh, I am looking forward to chatting about it. It's a great take. You know, they, there's an interesting BBC documentary that I've watched like a hundred times. It's called When Albums Ruled the World. It's, it's sort of a documentary on the album as, a, as an art piece and as a format. And it brings in Motown as an example of that even eventually Motown became album oriented, but it took a long time. And in our tonight's album 
is certainly in the era of singles. But the album that really pushed Motown into the album era was, of course, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which is an album that I find incredibly overrated. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not my favorite Marvin Gaye album even, but it's cited as this moment where Motown became an album's label. From that point forward, you could see, you know, Stevie Wonder came along and it did become a little bit more album centric. But yeah, in these early years, you know, Reach Out is arguably, but I would say it's a short argument, the best album from this particular era. But there were others, you know, the, the Supremes had that, I think Sings Holland, Dozier Holland album was really good. You know, The Temptations had a couple of things early on, the Meet the Supremes album. The, the first Jackson 5 album that Diana Ross presents thing. I think the Supremes worded our love go was kind of seen more as an album, but yeah, it definitely took Motown a while to figure out that, Oh yeah, we can do the album thing too. And not just rely on hit singles. And I think that reach out was an influential album in that way. And not to mention just the monumental success of so many of the singles on it, as we will go through, it listens like a greatest hits album. and. I think that's what stands out most about it, even though it is very much not a greatest hits album. It sure feels like one. So T, let, let's see if there's any, uh, you know, albums that feel like greatest hits albums and find out what you have been listening to. Hit it. All right, T, any albums that feel like a greatest hits album? But not a greatest hit album because that would be against the rules on your run around today. Um, no, <laughs> there, there, there aren't any of those. But um, I'll tell you, man, I am a you know you're kind of a sucker for some of these super deluxe editions and and uh, things of that nature. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for these Beach Boys reissues. They're great. They they have you know their demos are actually really interesting. You know, because at this point, Brian was kind of a studio hound hermit and the band was starting to, you know, get a little bit more compositional. And the most recent box that I'm talking about is the one that reissued. um, This is actually a CD set, at least in the form that I got it, which reissued um, Sunflower and Surf's Up gave you all kinds of live tracks and demos. It's a five CD book set, hardcover book sets. Beautiful box set. Uh, so I've been listening to Sunflower a bit. Um, obviously Surf's Up has uh, become sort of a, a trendy pick as far as, uh, you know, um, post Pet Sounds influential stuff, and rightly so. But I've been wanting to dig into Sunflower a little bit in this reissue uh, with its remastering is, uh, is quite good. And I guess along those same lines, my second one is the self-titled album from my favorite Beach Boy, Carl Wilson. He put out a solo record. I think it was kind of in the mid seventies, maybe kind of maybe toward late seventies. And, uh, it's pretty good. You know, it's kind of AOR ish and that sort of thing. But, uh, what's that one called to It's just called Carl Wilson, just self-titled. Oh, okay. um, All right. And, uh, yeah, he, he was, he was my favorite beach boy. I'm a, I'm a George guy with the Beatles and a Carl Wilson guy with the, uh, beach boys. So so that's my second one. Then my third one, something completely different. Uh, one of your other favorite genres, festival rock. Which I know you no, no. Quite enjoy. But now you're going to make me musically agitated. But, <laughs> yeah. But these are like 
the titans of festival rock. This is Imagine Dragons. They they have a new record out. I don't particularly like the band, but I am interested in what they do for some reason. I did like their first record when it came out, which is actually at this stage many years ago. And they've gone more and more in this like I mean, they're essentially the uh, they they they're writing the book on festival rock. Um, they're they're sort of the, the godfathers of it, I think, in many ways. Um, but they have this new uh, record, which appears like it's going to be a two parter, um, and it's called Mercury um, Act One. I guess there's going to be an Act Two, and it's interesting. I haven't I haven't listened to it yet, but I've looked at uh, Rick Rubin's the executive producer, which is interesting. There's an element here where a lot of the reviews it's getting are saying that they're trying to evolve. I'm interested in hearing if that's actually the case. That's what's round and round for me, buddy. What do you got? Well, I've got Billy Joel. Heard of him? Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. The Piano Man. Isn't he <laughs> yeah, the Piano right. Man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Piano, yeah, he's piano right. playing guy. And uh, the I'm the Stranger from 1977. Had a couple conversations about Billy Joel recently. Kind of sparked, re-sparked my interest. And uh he had a kind of a middle run of really strong albums. I know Turnstiles was really good. The Stranger is excellent as well. And then the 80s came and things got a little uh, a little shaky. But, you know, moving out and just the way you are in Italian restaurant, Vienna. I mean, it's quite a track listing and a very, very, very strong album. A lot of people think it is his best. The album 16 Stone from Bush, 1994, if you can believe it. Was yeah. It like 20, 27 years ago. Yeah. Which is insane. Jeez. Pretty classic stuff. You know, I don't think Bush made a, another album that came even close, but they talk about an album packed with hits that does listen like a greatest hits album. That would be 16 stone by Bush. And then probably the worst named band of all time, but actually pretty good band. If you listen to them and that is Hoobastank and their first album from 2001 self-titled very good rock album. They're actually a really outstanding. That band. was the reason, right? The, uh, the yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that reason. that was the hit and stuff, you know. But that, that was off the again? second. What was the re- what did that go like? The reason I found my reason to be. Oh yeah, I found my yeah. reason to me to take what you can be, and the reason and the is reason yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of that song. That's fine. I, I didn't hate it, but I was more of a, I think you were either uh sort of team Hoobastank or you were team Dishwalla. I was a big, I was a big Dishwalla fan. Actually, they, they were a great band to be honest with you. Dishwalla was good. I, I always thought it was more like team Hoobastank team Incubus. I thought Hoobastank and Incubus had a little bit more in common than I would say Dishwalla. And, and again, you got to listen to the albums. I mean, they Hoobastank, is a very, very good band musically. They were kind of heavy and yeah, just underrated, I would say. But again, the stupidest band name ever. All right, T. Well, uh, now that we're musically unagitated, hopefully. Are you still musically agitated? <laughs> no, you're good? Um, I, yeah, I think I'm going to be mad at Brett Denon for a while. I think so. I think so. This could go deep. All right, well, it's, it's time to reach out. It is. And let's reach out by diving into the nerdy deeds done dirt cheap. You want some dirty deeds? Yeah. You want some dirty deeds? All right, reach out. is It's the sixth album, I believe, by the four tops. It's, it's hard with these six, 60s acts and these Motown acts to figure out the exact sequence of when things came out. But 
It appears to be the sixth album recorded by The Four Tops. It was released in July of 1967. Aside from the four gentlemen that make up The Four Tops, really the key to the album is the songwriting and production team of Holland Dozier Holland, just legendary uh, artists who really, I would say, launched Motown artistically. Barry Gordy, of course, was kind of the business mind behind it, but without Holland Dozier Holland and the the songs that they'd contribute really in the first few years of the label's existence, uh, Motown would not be what it is today. Holland Dozier Holland contributed really some of the biggest hits, certainly in terms of originals on this album. Uh, and of course, the title track. So while they're kind of the, the artistic voice of the album, certainly the personnel of the Four Tops is extremely important. The lead vocalist and frontman was Levi Stubbs. <laughs> we'll do a lot of Levi Stubbs love here. Just an incredible vocalist, maybe the most underrated vocalist in music history. I might make that argument. He should be talked about in, in some of the great vocalists of all time. Just the soul and grit yeah. behind his voice is, is really incredible. And then, of course, Abdul Duke Fakir, who's kind of the, the visually, he's the guy I always associate with the, the Four Tops. Obi Benson and Lawrence Payton uh, round out the rest of the four dudes that make up the Four Tops. Just amazing harmonies, tremendous chemistry between these guys. If you don't believe me, just watch some old clips of them performing live. Great album cover, too. Just the, uh, just the fellas, like their four faces, you know, just big <laughs> old faces, you know. Totally. Yeah, I agree that the covers yeah. about as charming as the music. Is it is. Sure. It's kind of a joyful album yeah, cover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Joining Holland, Dozier Holland as just a key integral part of this album is, of course, the Funk Brothers, really the Motown house band, basically the session musicians who made all of this music sing and just an absolutely amazing band. There's entire documentaries devoted to the Funk Brothers. And, you know, obviously huge part of the Motown sound, huge is probably an understatement, but the Funk Brothers provided all the instrumentation on the album as well. Six singles, most of which, if not all, were just huge hits. Reach Out, I'll Be There was released first. Standing in the Shadows of Love, Bernadette. That's quite a two song run there, isn't it, T? Seven Rooms of Gloom, Walk Away, Renee, and If I Were a Carpenter round out the six singles out of the 12 songs. So out of the 12 songs, really half of it were pretty significant hit singles. Reach Out, you know, obviously in retrospect, has received tremendous critical reception. It was ranked 429 in that Rolling Stone magazine's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. That's actually a list that I like. We've talked about our overall disdain for Rolling Stone magazine, understandably so. But I do kind of like that 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. And this record did crack it. Mm -hmm. At 429. Some covers here, as we mentioned, two monkeys covers, Last Train to Clarksville and I'm a Believer, and then the Association's Cherish is a cover. Which confused the hell out of me. I had to look, I was like, wait a minute, like, did the Four Tops do Last Train to Clarksville originally? Oh, right. And and like the monkeys covered it? Like, I was very confused. So, you know, probably the most overlooked aspect of Motown as a label and as a music part of music history is the covers that came out of the Motown era. Mm. If you buy the albums, yeah, I have a large collect. I like collecting Motown on in mono. You know, I've got a rather large collection of, of original Motown pressings mixed in mono. Nice. And it's amazing how each album has covers on it and the diversity within the covers is, is notable. You know, in fact, the, 
the Supremes did an entire album of covers from the British invasion. So there's Beatles stuff and, you know, I think Rolling Stones covers all done by the Supremes. It's called, I think it's called the sound of Liverpool or taste of Liverpool or something like that. And so these albums are all flooded with covers, you know, you know, it'd be a great compilation to do just like, you know, a CD box set of all of the Motown covers. Cause they're, they're always really interesting to listen to. One of the aspects of it though, it marks really the conclusion of Holland Dozer Holland. They, they got into some legal disputes with Motown records, not long after this was released. And it kind of led to the separation of that team. And, you know, even Holland Dozer Holland, eventually the three guys broke up sort of with each other. I think they had some legal disputes with each other as well. So Motown was not without its business conflicts. And <laughs> through the making of this album, clearly at some point they lost their chief songwriting team. Yeah. you know, It's about the Benjis, you know, it grew so fast. I mean, this thing literally just started off of kind of a singular vision, Barry Gordy out of a house, you know, and the thing just took off in such a fast way. And I don't think anybody was prepared for that. And as we all know, when you know, more money, more problems, thank you, Notorious B.I.G. And uh, obviously that's part of the theme here, right? Is that things grew incredibly fast from a commercial standpoint and label had to go through some growing pains for sure as they sort of learned how to do this. So, you know, you say uh, more money, more problems. I, I just wanted to throw out there that uh, that's a great song, but I actually prefer, uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, it's uh, Mo Booty, Mo Problems uh, by Bill Clinton. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have I, heard it. Remember that one? Of course. That was like an early Napster thing. B-I-G-P-E-N-I-S, <laughs> fooling around with chicks, what I do best. I mean, if y'all, if you haven't heard that, it's just... It's called Mo Booty Mo Problems by Bill. It's like the Bill Clinton impersonator. It's pretty hilarious. It's excellent for sure. No doubt about it. All right. See, let's hear your four tops wonder story. I think it might have a little something to do with uh, being a little indestructible. That's my prediction. So let's get into wonder stories here, T. All right, T, what's your four tops story, man? Uh, you know, we played um, basketball in high school and, you know, we had a coach that was always very, pretty strict about the warm-up music. You know, he let the captains pick the warm-up music. And I remember we eventually had a different coach when, when we were seniors and we were captains and we got to pick the playlist. And it was, I, we had like Prodigy on there and like, I mean, we, we, the, he was cool. He didn't care. I remember jock jams was pretty frequently used, but ours was much cooler than that. But jock jams was like, you know, some of the other teams at our school used that. Well, yeah. So this yeah. was earlier, but you know, when we were, we would come out to jock jams, you know, the Michael Buffer thing, classic, you know, are you, are y'all ready for this? You know, that whole thing. Cause that song went out, went on for about 25 minutes, you know? And, uh, and then the next song that would come up was actually something that he selected. He actually was like, you know, you guys can pick whatever songs you want for the warm up tape, but you got to include this one, which is my choice. And it was indestructible. And I thought maybe it was some like Christian song or whatever, because, you know, he was a pretty Christian guy. But it was, um, it was the four tops. I remember actually asking him, I was like, 
what's that song that you put on our warm-up tape that you like so much? And he's like, well, that's the four tops. I was like, you mean like, like the four tops? And it was, turns out it was on the, uh, summer games. Remember that, that CD with, uh, one moment in time on it by Whitney Houston. And I'm sure 1988 summer Olympics official album. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) like an Olympics album. And, uh, I don't know which came first. But it was also the lead single off their album, Indestructible, which was 1988. Again, okay. I don't know if they, you know the Olympics took it from that or if they yeah, yeah. created the album based on the success of the single. But yeah. Well, I, I grew to really love this song. And it, you know, it's one of those that sort of took, it sort of brings back those memories. But to, it's to an, me, I, I think it's a fantastic song. Yeah. <laughs> it really and it's is. funny because everyone who played on those teams, like we all like love Indestructible, you know? And, uh, it's like almost one of those weird things that we all like have in common, you know, is that we all know the song. We all know all the words and could sing the whole thing. And, uh, you know, that was kind of like a modern, you know, thing with the four tops was we get all fired up and, uh, during the layup lines, getting ready to play the varsity game, uh, with indestructible playing. Have you seen the indestructible video? No, (laughs) no, I haven't, but I should. It's. It's incredible. I, I actually really, honestly, genuinely love it. Really? Okay. It's it's really heartwarming. It, it's the whole premise is that the four tops, you should watch it. They they all kind of come out of respective buildings and then they link up and they sing the first chorus with their arms around each other walking down the street. It some people would see it as 80s cheese, but I don't. It puts a lump in my throat. I, I think it's actually, I think it's beautiful. Huh, and okay. as they're walking through the street. People just start coming out and, and it was like an early like message of diversity because you've got like hmm. all these people, like different looking people and people from different walks of life coming out. Yeah. And like the music brings everybody together. And by the end, you've got this big like street dance party. So it was like Rocky, but with diversity. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But, but it's actually really touching because the huh. guys, they're all older you know, in Le- but Levi Stubbs still sounds incredible. And it's the original four guys. And it's this very uplifting song with this incredibly uplifting video. And uh, you should watch it just to kind of I see. Will. You might think it's it's just, you know, hokey and stuff, but I don't mm. know. It like, it like Unlikely. gets me. I'll probably love it because yeah. it is a song that we uh, have a sort of soft spot for. So uh, that's what I got, Nubs. What do you got on the four tops? Yeah, I think we've kind of shared, you know, just sort of our cultural connection to this music. I think for me, it's just the realization at a very young age that you drive around, you listen to 104.3 WOMC, they're going to play a ton of Motown songs, and every female that you're around is going to know every freaking word of every song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember they used to play 104.3 when we were in school, like in elementary school. Um, on the bus, that was like the station that they would, the bus drivers would play. And I was amazed every freaking girl we were like, this is when we were like 10. Yeah. Knew every word, every song. Obviously their parents probably listened to 104.3 a lot at home, but it was, uh, it was neat. I remember kind of being like jealous that they all knew all the words and I didn't listen. I'm convinced that every Metro Detroit female, when they were born, had a surgically implanted chip into their brain that had all of the melodies and lyrics of Motown songs. And it was there from the start. 
they just know it. I mean, it's, it's true. It, it's it's hilarious. In the ongoing debate of four tops or temptations, which I think was a, a healthy debate in the sixties and seventies, I, I am just totally a four tops guy. Yeah. You know, I, I again my my Motown albums collection is extensive, but no artist more than the four tops. And like the Temptations, they went through some different cycles and they got a little bit more funky at times, a little bit psychedelic at times, but I just totally love the Four Tops. I mean, far and away, my favorite of all the Motown groups, probably the Four Tops and then the Supremes. Yeah. All and, the Supremes were awesome. And and yeah. Levi Stubbs, obviously a big part of, of what you're saying. Um, and one of the things I thought was so cool, and I didn't know this until, you know, sort of doing some digging on the episode is... Number one, he was married for 48 years. I think anyone who's married for 48 years to the same person deserves um, a spot uh, beyond the pearly gates. But even cooler, he lived in Detroit. He, he posted yep. up in Detroit. He never his left. Entire, yep. His entire life and never left. And actually, he died at home, at his home in Detroit, which I thought was per- very cool. Very cool thing to kind of learn about as part of this. It's a great point. And, uh, and again, you know, this is not just music for us. This is, this is part of our culture and uh, that makes it even more special. So, Hey, reach out. It's time. 1967. Let's, uh, let's do this by going track by track and dropping the needle. I think just throwing this out there, Nubs, uh, one other highlight that we missed, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could be, isn't this the oldest album we've done in our 58 episodes of work? It's got to be. I mean, well, the Beatles' White Album was what, 68? Or was that 67? Could have been 67. What was this one again? 67, June of 67. Could have been 60. Maybe it ties the White Album. It's got, it would be those two. For sure, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We got range here at Two Twins in an album. You know, yeah, we got range so. for sure. Speaking of range, let's talk a little bit about vocal range <laughs> with the opening track. Holland Dozier Holland just giving it to us right from the start with Reach Out, I'll Be There. just one of the great examples of this dynamic thumping verses and then it opens up into this this super haunting chorus i mean if you really think about just the melody of that chorus and it's of course part of the famous intro it's very dark it's very very haunting melody but it's mixed with this sort of pounding verse that levi stubbs is just completely owning but i've always been fascinated with this song you know i remember my early experience with this song was seeing a live version of it where the four tops were on the Ed Sullivan show, of course, singing live over, over what I presume would be Ed Sullivan's band. I don't, it's, it's different music, but it just being stunned at just the vocal power yeah. of Levi Stubbs, you know? I mean, this is when people actually sang, right? They've had uh, talent and they <laughs> worked on it and they, saying you could put them on tv and it didn't matter how crappy the production was or the uh, acoustics or 
any of those things and they could just blow you away because they had the talent, they had the work ethic. We don't see a lot of that anymore. But uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a hell of a song musically. It's very interesting. A lot of dichotomy there between the uh, verses as far as the tone, the groove, and then what you get in the chorus. It's a great way of putting it. You know, it is a it, it goes kind of minor in the in the chorus, which is funny because it's such a catchy, memorable deal going on there in the chorus. But if you really pick it apart, it actually is pretty minor keyed. You know, kind of got some chromatic things going on there. It's really interesting. Um, but those verses are killer, man. Just, oh. you know, I mean, it's just awesome. You know? <laughs> totally. Just awesome. In you the can't go wrong. I mean, just, <laughs> the, just the, the soul of that yeah, voice is so much unbelievable. Soul. And one of the other things that's so cool, and you, know, you got to think that this was intentional from a production standpoint, the clipping on the vocals, the intentional yes, clipping. Yes, I was going to bring that up. It's yeah. just extraordinary. It's so cool. And, and who would think, you know, like now if if you did that, especially in today's overly produced environment, it would be be like, you know, people would be like covering their ears. But these guys were in. And, and by the way, for those that I think everyone knows, but, you know, clipping means when you actually exceed the gain limits as you're recording and it actually distorts. So it's not a it's not a distortion effect, which that's kind of a layer that you can put on a normal singing voice you're actually pushing the gain so that you're creating this natural distortion from really um, kind of overly pushed gain through the microphone channel. And it creates this fuzzy thing, especially when the singing gets to be particularly loud. Obviously with Levi's singing style, it really accentuates that, but boy, you hear that in it. Now you realize that that was a technique and it's very cool. It's a big part of absorbing these songs the way you do uh, from a studio standpoint. Also, a huge part of Reach Out, I'll Be There. The background vocals are just impeccable. You know, yeah. the arrangement of it, the performances are just, you know, perfect. And, th- you know, those three guys deserve a lot of credit for really what's far and away one of the most important songs in Motown history and the whole story is this opening track. And, I think the background vocals have a lot to do with it, particularly during the chorus and in the, in the buildup to the chorus, do the reach out. I mean, what they're doing there on those holds is, is stunning. It must've sounded so incredible in 1967, you know? Yep. For sure. For sure. Track two, see another hit, but this one's a cover and that is walk away. Renee. So he kind of get that orchestration to such a big part of the early Motown, you know, the strings and some of the keys that are in there, bring out those melodies. It's a chorus that really lifts for sure. And of course it's got the, the really important aspect of Motown music was, was chicks names. You know, I mean, <laughs> so many Motown songs were just a name. It's not the only song in this album where, it, you know, it's a chick's name in there. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a perfect Motown song, even though it's not, an original. It was a cover. Yeah, it's a good track too. It kind of you know brings you down to something a bit more mid tempo. It's more traditional song structure, kind of verse, chorus, verse, and uh, again, you know the 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 choral effect of kind of all four of the guys. In this case, 
not as much of a harmonization as it is all of them just kind of going for it, you know, on the chorus. In fact, I think at least three of them are singing the same line, you know, which just kind of gives it muscle. So yeah, Walk Away Renee is a great uh, track too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool when you kind of dig into that second song and you kind of, you know, cause you spend so much time hearing reach out, I'll be there within compilations and soundtracks and these sorts of things to, to kind of hear how they decided to go about track two on a record like this. Uh, it was cool. So it's kind of a nice point of the record to, uh, like oh i'm really digging into a four tops record now a true a true lp of this time and uh i like that about it for sure track three brings back holland dozer holland for seven rooms of gloom know the name james jamerson oh yeah he's uh one of the finest bass players i would say of our time and uh one of my favorite rock bass players of all time more i guess quote unquote current is uh robert deleo of stone temple pilots i think he's one of the best and i remember robert deleo basically saying listen i'm not really that good nor talented all i did is play along with james jamerson stuff and uh learned a few licks learned a few moves and that's pretty much what i apply to our uh composition for stone double pilots and if you listen to it it's like he's actually dead on he's making a lot of those same moves but yeah jamerson was a beauty he sure was he brought a lot of melody into bass playing very very influential as you just mentioned and really shines on this album and and certainly on this song it's an interesting track. It's again, a little up tempo doesn't maybe have some of the emotional peaks that some of the other songs do, but it moves along nicely and it's a different look, you know, in these first three songs, you just get three very distinct looks and that all speaks to the album aspect. You know, they're exploring some different areas, even though that core four top sound is certainly there. I think the key to a great band is to be able to do cover songs and, and respect the original composition, but make it your own. You certainly see that on the second cover of the album. And, and again, one of the big hits, which is their version of Tim Harden's If I Were a Carpenter. Dubs just dominating, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's just so good. I mean, God, like who else can just, when he gets all riled up, just really gets the like, but like who else could do that? I mean, it yeah. just sounds so good and it's so unforced and, uh, you know, really, really special vocal. So, uh, I think James Brown was listening to a fair amount of Levi Stubbs. Yeah. You know, I think there's some connection there in a lot of ways, you know, <laughs> very well could have been very well could have been. I, I don't know if Stubbs could, uh, 
could get down quite like James could. You know? <laughs> well, nobody I, could get. Down. I don't think the other three tops had to come put a cape over Levi after he had had enough, like they did with James. But only to get it thrown off. You yeah, know? that's right. <laughs> yeah, I like the the kind of beautiful melody that runs over the top of it, and then just stubs just like letting it fly. You know, I think that's a nice juxtaposition musically. Again, there there's some there's some darkness on this album in terms of you know, just some more serious melodies, some, you know, some moodier elements. We've already talked about them in the title track. So that kind of mix of like the dark and the light melodically. And, you know, these songs are pop songs, right? I mean, these were meant to be like on the radio and meant to be very popular, but there's a certain moodiness that runs through them that I think is really effective, even on those covers. Speaking of covers, the first of the two monkeys tracks, track five, last train to Clarksville. What do you think, man? I, I'm not a big fan of this song by the Monkees. This is not one of my favorite Monkees songs. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's a little like irritating the um, the verses. Like, there's just so many voices. I like what the Funk Brothers are doing. You know, I think that it's a it's a great uh, sort of musical adaptation. Uh, but vocally, there, there's a lot of voices. You know, and it's it's a little distracting but uh that's cool that they did it you know i think it's cool that they did both of these monkey songs so um yeah it's it's all right i think the other one's more successful than last train to clarksville which we will get to in track seven but not to be confused with track six which is the quite infectious if you ask me i'll turn to stone This song concludes side one of the record and uh, boy, is it Holland Dozier Holland or what? I mean, it's just everything <laughs> yeah. about it is so Motown. It, it's, it's, we've already referenced this a couple of times. It's quintessential trademark Motown elements. You got that swinging rhythm and really catchy vocal and, and it's kind of a happy go lucky sort of song, but damn, is it catchy? My goodness. Yeah, it's good. It's a, uh, you know, this is what you think of when you kind of hear, Motown and again, very swinging and 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 rather catchy and and well done on All Turned to Stone is is a good way to wrap up the side. So, T, you got six tracks on the first side, five hits, five significant hits, and one cover of a hit. Yeah, it, it's you would think okay they're done, you know you flip it over and okay the, the, you know they loaded side one as many of these artists did in the yeah. '60s on their albums they loaded up side one. And there's just no way they can recreate any more magic on side two. Well, you certainly find out that what makes Reach Out special is the fact that it's two sides here. And, uh, yep. and it starts off with a, a really fun cover. Of course, everyone who covers a song has to nail the organ part, you know, the distorted organ part. And the four tops are no different from everyone else who's ever covered it. And that is The Monkees, I'm a Believer, written by, written by Hootie. Neil Diamond. I'll smack you in the mouth on Neil Diamond. <laughs> I'm a believer. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the way it seems. Disappointment's on it. All I'm a dream. 
Yeah, I think this is a successful cover. Yeah, Gary and I had been drinking and we were driving. (laughs) And uh, we hit a kid. And so we just took off really fast. (laughs) Maybe the best Saturday Night Live bit ever. Yeah. Will Ferrell is Neil Diamond. So good. I think this is a successful cover. I think it works. I think it works on all fronts. I think that vocally it's a nice, you know, way to capture the a song that was originally by these four sort of fake musician British guys. <laughs> and it's almost like the four top says, Hey, what well, we show you to really do this song, you know, and capture mm-hmm. a nice groove to it. I think it's a, I think it's a well done cover. Yeah. It's I always found the monkeys version to be kind of goofy. Um, I mean, nobody does it like Neil, let's be honest here. But uh, I think this took some of this sort of goofy nature out of it because it is a great progression and a great groove. And when the monkeys did it, I, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too visual here, but I always felt like it was, you know, kind of a silly type um, vibe with I'm a Believer. But I like this soulful take and more kind of shuffly kind of take on it. And um, yeah, I think this one really works well. Just remember, T. Gary back there gave me some dynamite pills, so yeah, uh, I'm a little high. I gotta be honest, right. I'm a little high. <laughs> Go watch it if you haven't watched it for a while. It's still oh, amazing. Beauty. Speaking of still amazing, a, a two-song run that, I, I don't know, man, I'm not sure it gets a whole lot better. Luckily, if you really like to reach out, we get to hear it again <laughs> here with the second track on side two. Certainly a legendary hit for the label, and that is Standing in the Shadows of Love. it's so nice they did it twice (laughs) they even included that little chromatic like lift right before the chorus i mean it's almost identical yeah yeah for sure it it is it is very similar i i don't know the last time i had heard this song it had probably been a while and you know these songs are pretty short so you're only um you know, seven tracks removed from the title track. And I even like had did like a triple take. It was like, man, is this, is this like a continuation of it? Or like, is this like a, was this meant to be like almost like part two? And well, it could have, I mean, yeah, it, it's so similar. It could have been like just using the same theme, you know, musically. I think they just knew reach out was so damn good that they could get another squeeze, another hit out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's probably right. And and you know what they did? I mean, this is a, this, this is a huge a, hit. It was, yeah. you know, again, to your point, it's um, it really strengthens side two. There's something about the way. And again, listening to it on vinyl, especially the way that it weaves into track nine. It, it's just, it's almost like they're showing off. It's like, this is how good we are. And I'm not just about the four tops. I'm talking about Holland, Dozier, Holland. It's like, oh, you like that? Well, okay. And again, and both of these songs, tremendous depth, I would say. I mean, they really are. They're moody. These are moody pieces of music, right? Mm-hmm. Standing in the Shadows of Love is a hard, heavy song. I mean, and, and certainly what follows on the heels is, some might say that the best musical composition that the band did, certainly one of the heaviest, and that is Bernadette.
That's got to be Levi's best moment, maybe. Ever. Let's keep it going. You know, so good. It's a great pause. It's very dramatic. It's it's a very, very dramatic song. It just is. And yeah, I mean, again, he's, he's just, he's just cry, like literally like crying out for her, you know, at that point. I mean, it, that yeah. is, that is great stuff, man. That's great what I'm saying to you. They're, they're like showing off at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're going to, we're gonna show it all, you know, nobody else could sing that like him. Nobody. I love the instrumental of this. I mean, granted his, his vocal is tremendously important, but uh, the chromatic nature, the walking nature of it, it's uh you know, it's one of those songs that I think, you know, obviously Levi makes it special, but I think any vocalist could have captured that progression and that vocal line over that being laid down brilliantly by the Funk Brothers. Uh, it's very effective. Very, very good. It's a great call to you. And how about Jamerson's bass line? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah I mean, the guy was just, he was so artistic in the way that he composed. See, my main complaint about Reach Out as an album. You end it right there and you've got to me, one of the greatest records ever made, like yeah. far and away, just the most complete nine tracks ever. It's, it, it probably is the main issue with the fact that the songs are so short because none of them are above three minutes. They're, right. they're all less than three minutes. Right. The problem is you got to fill up an entire set of vinyl. You got to justify, you know, the $6 that people were paying for this at the time. And if the record ends there, I, you just got the most amazingly sequenced group of songs. And I think you've got a, a truly legendary album, but instead they kind of crowbar these three songs, none of which are Holland Dozier Holland compositions into the, an end of the album that chugs to this very disappointing finish. And it starts with cherish. You know, just it doesn't have the the voice. You know, it's there's too much going on vocally. It's kind of like what you described earlier. When we were talking about, uh, I think it's when we were talking about what you were saying during last train to Clarksville. Just so much going on vocally, it was a little distracting. I I kind of feel that here. It's just, you lose that core voice of the four times. Plus, I don't I don't love this style of Motown music. You know, where it gets real kind of lazy and mm-hmm. and bouncy. You know, that deep groove just isn't there on Cherish. Yeah, it's a, it, it's when, you know, when Phil Spector was bad, which didn't happen very often, except for, I mean, when he, when he murdered people that he was bad, but yeah, that, was, that wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. You know, committing double murder. That was bad. But, but, you know, his production, it didn't go bad very often, but sometimes it went bad, you know, where you got too much of an echo chamber the the, the composition gave him space and he decided to do too much with that space instead of sort of let it breathe. And I feel like that's kind of happening a bit here on Cherish. It almost sounds Spectre-esque whenever he got a bit indulgent in the studio, which could happen from time to time. So um, that's what I hear. I think it's ambitious. I think they're trying to do something cool on this song compositionally, but it ultimately doesn't feel very cohesive. And it feels like different parts sort of just being mashed together and then trying to try to produce it to the point until it was good. And I don't think it ever really gets there. The next track is notable because of its co-writer and producer, a dude named Smokey. And that is Wonderful Baby. Wonderful, oh, wonderful, baby. Wonderful, wonderful, baby. 
I like the orchestrations. I like the build. It's very smoky. I mean, this sounds like a lot of songs that Smokey Robinson wrote. And you kind of get Stubbs back involved here with that kind of forceful, the the forceful power of his voice. But still, I, I I'm very distracted by the um, you know the is it not maracas? What are those things called? It's got it's a percussion instrument. T. It's got the oh, it's the clava clavel what, clavicle. What are those what? things called? We used to clavinets play in or class. clavinets or something. You talking about those plastic things? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a horse walking. I thought it was a clavicle, but that's your, that's like your shoulder. That's bone, like your shoulder. Isn't it? Yeah. I can't remember what it is. Uh, but anyway, it, it's the tempo is not my thing. Again, I do like the orchestration, the build though. So uh, uh, nubs just really quick. I had our crack uh, research team look this up really quick. And those are called uh, castanets. Ah, castanets. There you go. So yeah. I had the starts a with a C correct. Yeah. So got that going for me, which is nice. I love this one, man. I think Wonderful Baby's awesome. I, I think that the uh, progression is really neat. It has kind of, I think, that right production technique that makes it interesting. I think it's kind of epic. Like, I think it's a really, I actually think this would have been a great closer. So, yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of this one. I'm not going to lie. I think it's pretty good. Love it, man. Well, that's, that's a good thing. I, I saw you grooving over there to it. You were in Sure. Shape. Yeah. Track 12 and the closer of Reach Out was co-written by some dude named Stevie. And that is, what else is there to do but think about you? I just don't think it has the the grit as mentioned near the beginning of the show that Levi Stubbs usually brings a little bit more of a traditional vocal style. It's very Stevie wonder. You can, you can kind of hear his fingerprints mm-hmm. on this thing, even though he wasn't the chief songwriter, he was working with a team, but he's certainly in there, but uh, I mean, it's an okay closer. But again, I just, I just think these three tracks that bring us to a close are to step back after you get that peak of staying in the shadows of love and Bernadette. But, Oh, what, what do you think of the closing track, T? Well, I think most things probably would be a step back from that. that well, <laughs> that that's back, fair. Yeah. That back-to-back run. I mean, that's, that's pretty lofty. You're talking about putting two Motown classics that are actually very, you know, while one of them is a little bit of a replica of the title track, they're still musically very interesting. And to your point, they're musically pretty deep. It may have been ideal, and in the compact disc era, if it would have been, to uh, probably end it right there with uh, Bernadette. But, um, you know, yeah, it's not bad. I think, you know, I think it's an okay closing song. It's a little formulaic, a little bit more of what you, you know, sort of that that Motown uh, formula, I think, taking place, uh, which is okay. It's a formula that worked, and I think it's an okay closer. All right, see, well, hey, we made it through Reach Out. I think both our voices are, are fading due to our uh, Levi Stubbs impressions, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some of those guys, he's one of them. It's just like, you know, how did they do it? You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. it sounds like it's being forced and it's, but, but it's not, it's just the way no. they, you know, that's just, that's a gift, right? Really Everybody should go on YouTube and just watch some old clips of him singing live. I mean, it really is. It's exceptional. And, but yeah, you do come away with, wow, he was able to wake up the next morning and talk. But that's how natural the whole thing was. If you really want to hear our 
our true Levi Stubbs impression, though, you got to go back to episode, I think it was 56, was it, T, where we sang Indestructible by the Four Tops? <laughs> yeah, I think we I think we did take a run at that one. Which we, we did. Which was a mistake, but we did. <laughs> yeah. No, well, all of our singing ends up being a mistake. Yeah, There's no doubt about it. All right, T, what's not a mistake is us uh, doing a little bit of the, uh, the final cut and the... Uh, you know, a little bit of a retrospective here on four tops reach out. So T let's just start with, I don't know. Did this album matter? Yeah, I think it did a little bit. I I don't know that. um, I I think that when people are going to talk about what was the best record, the best LP of the, of the Motown label, most people are probably going to go with what's going on. That's kind of the trendy choice Uh, or even, even let's get it on overrated. Um, What's going on? Overrated. I, I agree. Um, ABC is another one that probably is in the conversation. Uh, and then of course you get into CV wonder stuff, but that was after this. So, you know, I, listen, I, I think that um, if you're going to pick one album from the Motown label, one LP and run with it, you sure as hell got to consider this, but you know, th- this group was very important. This vocalist in particular was, was very, very important. Uh, to the era and to kind of the uh, whole sort of music scene in the late sixties. I think it's a very um, well-rounded record. It, it's got a lot of peaks. It doesn't have a lot of valleys, um, which if you're going to look at a lot of albums from this era, from this style of music, you know, you'd probably see a lot of filler or a lot of cover songs that you don't necessarily enjoy or those type of things. But I, I think it showed that certainly at some points, uh, within the Motown operation, the LP was being thought through. And if there was a group or an artist that was good enough or was kind of supplied with the right material to pull it off, um, they certainly, uh, not very often, but they certainly took advantage a few times of not just trying to make great songs, but trying to make a great album. And, and I think they did that here. So in that case, it was pretty important. So probably not as renowned as it should be in terms of being seen as sort of that top tier uh, definitive Motown LP, but it probably should be more than it is. And and for that, I think it's pretty important. So how about you, Nub? You think it mattered? Well, look, I think that compilations will always matter most when it comes to Motown. You know, I think about when we were growing up, our dad had that 25 number one hits of Motown double album. Remember it had all the pictures of the 45s on the front cover of the sleeve of it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's some there's some pretty legendary compilations that came out of the Motown era that capture all the hits. I think what's cool about Reach Out and what helps it to matter is that it does prove that there were some good albums that came out of this early Motown era, an era that's so renowned for its singles, does have a few albums in it that are worth checking out. And since we're, you know, the podcast is all about appreciating the album, I think that in that sense it matters. Cause it proved that the four tops were on fire at this point, you know, it's right at the peak of their kind of artistic talent and their chemistry within each other and kind of their vision for what they wanted to accomplish in a given era, a given year, a given time. So I think, I think it stands out as one of the pinnacle works of, of Motown. And so in that sense, it matters, but I think for those who kind of want to dip their toe in the Motown water or for new generations of listeners, I, th- I think it's fair to say the compilations are going to be re- really where you want to go. And that's hard to say it as, as an albums guy, but it's just true. I think that if, if you're going to recommend a, a Motown album to somebody, it'd be hard not to pick this one. 
No doubt about it. And dude, listen, it's got Levi Stubbs on it for an entire album. So yeah. So it, <laughs> worth the listen. It yeah. matters, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Yeah, T, he, well, he could be uh, singing a, a collection of Molly Hatchet songs and it'd be worth listening to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not that dude, Molly Hatchet's bad or anything. But that's an idea, actually. You know, <laughs> if he's still around, Levi Stubbs sings Molly Hatchet might be kind of fun. <laughs> All right, T, the final cut. Is it on the turntable? Is it in the collection? Is it collecting dust? Or is it heading to the for sale bin at a local record store near you? T, where's reach out? Yeah, you can't put it in the for sale bin. It's, 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 it's probably one of the two best LPs of the Motown label and Motown era. So, I mean, you can't do that. It is collecting dust because, frankly, I don't think Motown put out that great of an album altogether. Um, you know, I don't think What's Going On is incredible. I don't think this album is incredible. Uh, I don't think ABC is incredible. I mean, I just don't, you know, the, it was very singles heavy. Uh, you know, a lot of the group dynamics were more focused on creating stars, I think, than they were creating great albums. And they were certainly focused on creating great songs that would fly off the shelves as 45s. But in terms of making a great album, I think this was one of their best efforts, but it's not, you know, special to me. I think it's got some incredible songs and that's the whole reason why you sure as hell can't put it in the for sale bin. There's just too much strength. I like the way that it's pretty thorough top to bottom. I like the way that there are two sides that are really strong. There's a lot to really respect about it. And I do think it's probably a record that should be talked about a little bit more than it is. For me, it's a dust collector because I think, again, you can pick the spots and, uh, you know, put a few songs here aside that you want to make sure that you revisit without really kind of feeling the need to go top to bottom of it. And certainly, I don't think the trifecta there at the end helps the cause too much. So when you assess it sort of from the standpoint of, you know, is it a special LP? I think by Motown standards, it was certainly one of the best, uh, you know, there's no question about that. But as a whole, I just don't think the label really put out any full length album that was particularly elite. So I'm going collecting dust. Uh, I, I, I love the choice. It's an important era and an important label for us to discuss. Uh, and I'm glad we did it. But for me, it's a dust collector. What do you got, Nub? I've got it in the collection. I, it does have a a really lackluster ending. You know, if it ends at Bernadette, it's probably on the turntable for me. <laughs> right. Just because how do you create nine songs any better than those in one given album, 1967, for the most growing sound and label in the world, right? The covers are, some of them work better than others. I think in terms of the original compositions, and really the six hits out of the 12 songs. I mean, it, they're, you know, top notch gold medal on the turntable for those particular songs. But, you know, the album loses steam after its pinnacle. If it just ended after Bernadette, I think that you'd be talking about something that was so complete, but it chugs to this kind of blah finish. And, and for me, that makes it just a little bit less than on the turntable. I got it in the collection too, because I think everyone needs a Motown album in their collection. And if it's not this one, tell me, what would it be? If we're going to look at the heart of yeah. that Motown era. And after this album, Holland Dozier Holland leave Motown and, and Motown was never quite the same after that. Still very successful. It just changed, you know? And I think it's an album you listen to here and there just because the, the first nine songs, I, I just, 
I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. He'd get much better. Yeah. And some incredible two and three song runs within that track list for sure. Well, T, if you don't have these songs in your head for the rest of uh, the week, then something's wrong. You know? <laughs> but uh, let's see what other songs have been ringing in your head as we look at In Your Head. In Your Head. We could do two minutes and 30 seconds of Dolores. You know? <laughs> yeah, that'll get in your head quick. Yeah. Absolutely. T, what's in your head? T, <laughs> what is in your head? The first thing I've got, man, I, tell you what, I didn't, li- I hadn't really listened to this song in a long time. Um, but I heard this remix of, it's like this Elton John like mashup, and it's called Cold Heart. And it steals the, a blurb from the song I'm about to talk about. And then a couple other Elton John tunes. And it's like kind of this dumb techno-y to remix. But I heard this in the car the other day and it reminded me to, to pull out uh sacrifice by Elton John. What a great Elton John song. You've always loved that one. It's just a, yeah. just a cold, cold heart haunting by you. Something done bad, I'm baby. Just passing through. Like, does it get more of an Elton John vocal melody than that? It's yeah, like it's hitting sure. all yeah. the different, like, sort of moves and chromatic elements and things. It's just great. I just like, hardened by you. I mean, I love that song. I've been singing <laughs> it all week. So, so, uh, you know, we all kind of have our Elton John song that we like that we're not sort of supposed to like. Mm. You know what mine is? Uh, is it one of the like cartoon movie ones? Is it no, like circle? No, because I do, I, I do kind of like those. <laughs> <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? It's amazing. I like Circle of Life better than that. Mm, no, but it's that. same era. I will tell you, same era. Um, hmm, I don't think I know. It's the song Blessed off of Made in Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great, yeah. Blessed is awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, blessed, you know, it's great. You just get the. You know, you're a child in my head. You haven't walked yet. And you, you're the blessed. You haven't blessed. I promise, promise you, you that. that. I, I kick a star from the, the sky. Put it dead in your hand. hand. Promise, promise you that. that. Promise you that. Promise you you be yeah blessed is yeah, great blessed is good yeah that's a great call yeah on, I, I love when elton gets all mad and shit and just starts absolutely yelling. great absolutely uh know, do i even need two more songs i don't know uh, <laughs> yeah. fades like a photograph by filter you know a great song from those guys and then uh this guy and i we started talking about rem the other day just reminded me that they're great and uh the monster record has this song toward the end called let me in, which, uh, the only REM album I like monster monster. Yeah. Now yeah. what's in your head, buddy. First would be the song conviction of the heart by Kenny Loggins. Maybe the Ooh, last yeah. truly great song that he wrote. Very epic, very mm-hmm. long, excellent song. A lot of different cool changes. Very good. Live. We've seen him play that live. Excellent. song. Great drum solo too. Absolutely. You know, a little Absolutely. marching, little marching snare kind of thing going on. You got it. Next would be the song Roses in Water by Sunny Day Real Estate. That's off the off fields to be something on 
one of the two comeback albums they did. We'll have to do a little sunny day, I think, sometime soon. Right. And third is a band called White Town. And the song is Thursday at the Blue Note. Oh, Geodi Mishra. Yeah. Love, love White Town. Thursday at the Blue Note's a great song. Good, good choice. It's my favorite on the album, I would yeah. say. I do like your woman, but yeah, that women and technology album, that's something you championed for a long time. It's a very overlooked album for sure. Yep. Excellent stuff. Not overlooked as the four tops and the album reach out. It's, it's been a lot of fun talking about this with you. And I think we should feel very fortunate that we, we came from an area and were raised in a musical environment that was, that had a musical culture and Motown was a huge part of that. And if you don't believe me, just ride in a car with some chicks and turn on some Motown songs and <laughs> they'll know every friggin' word, man. Yeah, I agree. Th- thanks for breaking the Motown seal. I think that was important for us to do. And, uh, you've, you, you now, uh, have selected our eldest record that we've done on the podcast. So know, maybe, maybe I'll have to try and outdo you now and find something be further out than 1967. Well, if there's, you know, one thing I like more than being done, it's being outdone. That's you right. <laughs> That's right. Good choice. Thanks buddy. You got it. That wraps up episode 58, which means that next will be episode 59, which means we're approaching another Q and a Q and a Q and a episode. Here we go. That's a special. That's a special Q&A on the way. But until then, we ask that all of you take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And we will see you for episode 58. I'm sorry. (laughs) See, I lost track again. (laughs) And we will see you for episode 59 (laughs) here on Two Twins and an Album. Two Twins and an Album. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.